A very good evening to you all. Um, my name is Tony Travers from the LSE, so I can welcome you, those of you who are not normally here, here, and if you're normally here, hello. Um, what we're here for this evening is a, the first, I think, of the, uh, what will I think be for them, a series of uh, Merrill Hustings events as we run up to the London Merrill election in May. This is the fifth mayoral election. The system is now very much embedded and uh, this is going to be an extraordinary contest because for the first time since the mayoralty was well, actually it was true the first time, wasn't it? But since then, um, there's bound to be a change of mayor uh, this time because all the candidates are, they were not people who have been mayor or are mayor currently. So it's a, a big time for London big year for elections in general in Britain. I'll say less of them, no more about that than that. Um, before I hand over to uh, Colin Stanbridge from the London Chamber of Commerce, and this event is uh, co-sponsored by London Chamber of Commerce and their partners and us here at LSE London, uh, I'd just like to say uh, one other thing, really. We're very happy here to host this event. I'm looking forward to it myself. And at the end of it, um, there will be a collection. It's Rag Week here at the school, and uh, Students' Union will be collecting for three uh, charities, St. Mungo's Broadway, Papyrus, and Farm Africa. So I hope you'll feel encouraged to help the Students' Union with that. But apart from that, enjoy this evening. I hope the candidates enjoy it, and I'll hand over to my good friend Colin Stanbridge, Chief Executive of the London Chamber of Commerce. Tony, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, thank you, the LSE, for hosting us this evening. It's a fantastic uh, auditorium to be able to have what, as Tony said, is the first of the major London mayoral debates. Uh, it's going to be a big year uh, for all of them and a big year for London. Uh, and there's plenty to be done. Tonight's event is the culmination of something you probably saw outside as you were queuing to come in. Uh, of London Tomorrow. That's our thought leadership uh, campaign uh, at the Chamber, uh, which has been supported tremendously uh, by EY uh, and uh, City Airport. Without them, especially EY, we'd never have been able to put that on. What we've done with that, uh, and Tony has been part of the London Tomorrow panel, uh, is to come up with, hopefully, what will be a, one of the first dossiers on the new mayor, whichever of these... Ladies and gentlemen, become mayor on their desk, which will lay out our thoughts, not just the thoughts of business, but also the thoughts of local politicians and the public. The polling was done by Comres, who do all, all our polling. Uh, and it comes across the sort of affordability and competitiveness of London, infrastructure, devolution, the sorts of things that we hope the new mayor uh, will be in a position to tackle. So, as I say, this event tonight is the culmination because we are able to, uh, to say to uh, the main mayoral candidates, uh, these are the sorts of things that you should be thinking about, and we want to hear, as the debate goes on, what you have to say about it. Just to give you a flavour of that, uh, we've prepared a short video. So if we could play the video, I hope it will give you an idea about London tomorrow. Our next mayor is going to have to prepare London for the future, and that means making tough choices and not ducky difficult choices. We're a really important 
part of London's development with a new man coming. EY wanted to get together leading thinkers, businessmen, local and central government politicians and really think about the issues that were going to be important. We are concerned to make sure that we come up with positive ideas uh, and in this case positive evidence for those politicians when they're going to make policy. Probably the single biggest issue the mayor needs to tackle at the moment is housing. Uh, house prices, rentals are increasing rapidly well ahead of average earnings. And that means London's become a more and more expensive place to live, and that's a barrier to people moving here. We don't know how to bring talented people from the regions into London because we can't afford to house them. And we don't know how to stop talented people from London wanting to move to Manchester because of housing. It's quite often difficult to get infrastructure projects underway because of the planning process and planning procedure. The mayor's thinking about where the community is make a real difference. It's trying to help de-risk some of the main projects, maybe that to a point where investors can see they're not there in the project risk, but can actually find a way through to the financial return. Our transport system is uh, slow, our transport system is congested, and the other great world cities are investing in the infrastructure to have systems that are much better than us. The frustration makes things you do need to be able to get in, and we're making it actually much harder. Uh, for it, and, and that's what worries me, is that the centre will not move. But now, we're at that point where actually things are changing, there is another strand to investment in infrastructure, and that's connectivity. There is a need to be able to make devices, iPads, tablets, smartphones, and everything else that the modern individual and businesses are now using, be able to be used to its premium and optimum, and that will happen through connectivity and capability and bandwidth but also that entrepreneurial spirit, the sense that London is a city where business is looked after and businesses are encouraged, not discouraged, from expanding. London is booming. Um, by 2030, there'll be 10 million Londoners. The next mayor is going to have to push the fight forward uh, on more devolution for London. We need more political independence and financial and fiscal independence for London if we're really going to make uh, the progress uh, that London deserves and London deserves. The model of the city will change around how people go to work, their, their sort of social lives, their general interaction. And I was quite open to London all 25 city, <coughs> like York and, and other major cities in the world. I think the underground is, again, hugely overcrowded. The strikes which we've had recently were um, quite a nuisance for all the Londoners, um, I can say. So I think that will be the main point to sort out in the future from the next mayor. I think we need electric buses to do something about that and just air quality in large parts of the city. If you're a tourist here, London's dirty. It's really dirty. The train stations are dreadful. We're not going to solve the problems in the next five years. We'll be lucky if we solve them in the next 20 years, but we're going to continue to build on solutions. So I'd like to see the next mayor set the direction of travel for the next 20, 30 years. London tomorrow has sort of bring together uh, the thoughts uh, and wisdom of, of, of different sectors, and sectors that you don't necessarily come together that often, a cross-section, according to our research, really fix that the need for that sort of investment in transport, in housing, in the whole infrastructure of the city is vitally important to keeping uh, our status as a leading world city.
so there's not much for a new mayor to do. Um, again, I'd like to thank uh, EY and City for their help in putting on those London Tomorrow debates. Now, on to the main debate. Now, um, if you read your invite, uh, at this stage you're thinking, well, where's Tim Donovan, a political editor of the BBC? Uh, well, one of the successes of this is it's become, you're all here, the place is full, a waiting list, and that means we're now a story. So Tim is now actually reporting this uh, rather than chairing it. So it falls to me uh, to, uh, to do the chairing. What we're going to do this evening is ask each of the candidates in order, and we've just drawn lots. We want to be as fair as possible uh, for the order of this. Uh, and they will come up uh, to this lectern and do a two-minute uh, address uh, with their main themes. I've got my stopwatch here, uh, so I'll be making sure that uh, we stick to those, uh, those two minutes. Uh, so uh, after, after that's, that's done, done uh, uh, we'll, we'll invite, invite the whole of the panel onto the stage, stage. Uh, and, and I will ask for about 20 minutes, minutes uh, a number of questions that have come out of our research and, and various other things. And then it's your turn. Uh, we want you to come up with your questions. So be thinking about them now. Uh, try and make them short uh, rather than a statement. Uh, I'd rather have a question. Something that sounds as if it has a question mark at the end would be very helpful. Uh, uh, so, uh, that's your chance to shine, so make sure that you wave and get my attention when we come to that bit. Right, as I said, we've drawn lots, uh, and uh, the winner, let's put this, the winner of the lots, not the winner of the, uh, is, uh, is Zach Goldsmith. Uh, so, Zach, can I invite you to the stage to uh, give the first address? Thank you, um, thank you very much indeed. London has boomed under Boris Johnson over the last eight years, but too many Londoners today have been priced out of their own city. So I'm standing for mayor because I want to take that extraordinary success story that is Boris Johnson, and I want to translate it. I want to make it work for everyone in London. My plan for London will deliver more homes. That means closing the gap between what we know we need and what we're currently building. It means growing the transport network, the transport infrastructure, not only to keep London moving, but also to unlock the land we know we're going to need if we're going to have any chance of beating this housing crisis. My plan will keep our streets safer by protecting the resources the tools need, giving them the backing and the tools they need to keep us safe. And it will focus on protecting the environment, our green spaces, our precious green belt, but also tackling the blight of air pollution, which is costing 10,000 lives every year in London. Now, it's easy when you're running up to an election to make all kinds of promises, but the issue is who can deliver the promises they make. And I rely on my record. As an MP, a working MP over the last six years in Richmond Park and North Kingston, I made promises when I was first elected. I kept those promises. People can see in my constituency... That where I needed to hold government to account, I held government to account, and that I delivered day after day after day for my constituents. And as a consequence, just a few months ago when we had a general election, I was rewarded by my constituents, by the people who know me best, with the biggest increased majority of any MP in London. I believe possibly any MP in the country. Now, the choice is very clear. Between a candidate who can deliver for London and a candidate who cannot deliver for London. 
If London backs me on May the 5th, in just 96 days' time, I will make Greater London greater still. Thank you very much. If I'd got the stopwatch to work, it would have been two minutes, uh, but I failed miserably. Uh, my, my only duty is to, make, is to be able to use a stopwatch, and I can't even do that. Anyway, uh, I think it was about two minutes. Anyway, the, the next uh, candidate, uh, the next is Peter Whittle of UKIP. Peter. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for that clap. Um, uh, most unexpected. Um, I'm the UKIP candidate. <laughs> This is the LSE. Um, I'm the UKIP candidate in London. Uh, I'm a born and bred Londoner, like my father before me and my grandparents. They were from Peckham, and I grew up in south-east London in, in Woolwich. And so I'm a Londoner through and through, and uh, I don't know whether you know what I mean, but when you talk about being a Londoner, it's something which, for me, actually informs my whole character, you know. I look at the world in a particular way, uh, and I love this city. So uh, when we, I looked through the various uh, recommendations and the things that were in the report and the great work, actually, I think, that London uh, tomorrow has put forward, and they are all infrastructure problems. They're about how we make our businesses thrive. And if you sort of think of the economy of London as being uh, its body, if you like, like a machine, then it's obviously crucial that, you know, that it works most efficiently. But secondly, also, there is the quality of life of people in that city. And I think this is something which in the past 10, 20 years we have seriously uh, neglected. Now, I would say to you that I will be different tonight in two ways. Um, I think you probably guess what they are. But first of all, I think that you've got to look not just at, if you like, the supply side of things, which is what we're doing, but also at the demand. And so when we say that London is growing inexorably, which it is, you've got to sort of say, as mayor, this is something which I would want to address, because it's not just enough to look simply at the supply side. You have to look at the demand side, and that, of course, means an ever-growing population. Um, I would also say to you that I can say sincerely that I am the only candidate here tonight who believes that London has an extremely exciting future and business in London has a very exciting future outside of the EU. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I'm going to reinstate the, uh, just a slight reinstatement of the uh, AV. Uh, third out of the hat, uh, was Sean Berry. Uh, of the Green Party. Sean. Thank you very much. Um, I'm here because I want London to succeed, but the way it succeeds is important too. The concentration of wealth in just a few hands isn't good for our city, nor is the concentration of commerce in a few large businesses, while smaller firms struggle even to find premises. My approach to the economy is to help businesses build a more diverse, more resilient economy for London. We need to do more to help our smaller enterprises to grow, to make our town centres places that are pleasant and thriving right across London, not just in the overheated centre. I've been listening to Londoners and putting together a manifesto to help everyone have a stake in our future. I believe in the power of good ideas, and here's three we've announced so far. 
Reducing the fare zones and abolishing them completely by 2025 is the most revolutionary idea for London's transport since the introduction of the travel card in 1983, and it's got everyone talking about it. It will help many workers and students who, live, who are forced to live further out to save serious amounts on their travel costs. Closing City Airport and replacing it with a new quarter for homes and businesses looks ahead to when Crossrail opens and people from the city can get easily to Heathrow. More than 11,000 people have signed up in support of this idea in just a week. Helping London's 2.3 million private renters to help themselves by making every one of us members of a London Renters' Union is a policy I launched this morning. And in just a few weeks, I'll be announcing plans for a Bank for London, supported by City Hall and local authorities, tasked specifically with supporting and growing small businesses and a safe and ethical choice for our savers too. Well, surely a bank is the last thing the Greens would want to create. But this kind of regional bank is an idea many of you will be familiar with. It hasn't happened in London yet, but I believe its time has come. We need to stop thinking only of left and right and think about the past and the future. Yes, I want to be mayor tomorrow, but the power of our ideas is that they look to the long term, not just to the next election. And with a green mayor, London's future and its future success will be in safe hands. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Uh, and now, Sadiq Khan. Good evening. London is the greatest city in the world, but we're at a crossroads. And if we don't act now, it could be too late. Londoners have been priced out due to the housing crisis, and the next generation are missing out on the opportunities that me and my family had. The opportunity to go from a council estate to help running a business, to be a transport minister, to now run to be the mayor of the greatest city in the world. The opportunity my parents have had to have a council home that was both secure and affordable. For us to go to good local state schools, be pushed by the brilliant teachers to go to university, my one brother who didn't want to go to university got a good quality apprenticeship and is a motor mechanic, the most successful of the cons. The, the opportunity, if you did hard work, you got a helping hand. But the next generation is missing out, and that's why we've got to act now. London needs a mayor with the experience, with the values and the vision to put us on the right track, to fix the housing crisis. We've got genuinely affordable homes, first dibs, to Londoners, to support businesses to grow and be productive so we can have jobs that are living wage jobs and more apprentices, to build a modern transport system, transport system that's affordable for Londoners, to make sure we have a healthy and safe London, tackling air pollution, having community policing and ensuring we lead on a health service. I hope during the course of the evening I'll show I have the experience, I have the values and I have the vision to put us back on the right track. Thank you. Uh, and now, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Caroline Pigeon. Uh, 
Thank you very much. Um, too often, these mayoral elections seem like they're all about big egos, slugging it out there. But by contrast, I'm putting myself forward to run our great city, not so that I can be something, but because I want to actually do something for London and for everyone who lives here. I have the experience London needs. As a Liberal Democrat on the London Assembly, I've been holding the current mayor for account for the last eight years, campaigning hard on behalf of Londoners to save local PCSOs, to improve air quality, and most of all, to bring transport improvements to every corner of the capital. No one else on the panel this evening has that experience of working day in, day out for Londoners at City Hall. And now I'm ready to take on the morality so the changes I've campaigned for can finally be delivered. But for me, the way our city works is personal. Not because I'm involved in its politics, but because I'm one of London's ordinary citizens too. Like so many Londoners, I've struggled with balancing work and bringing up my family. As a mother to a young son, I know all the pressures on parents and the absolute need to improve childcare in the city. I've worked part-time, so I've felt in my own pocket the way that the London Fair system treats those earning least. And I've been a campaigner on housing since I graduated and moved to London 22 years ago, first working to help people in the London Borough of Southwark where I was a councillor and now pressing for more affordable homes, both to rent and to buy. But this evening I'm looking forward to sharing my costed plans for 50,000 council homes in London, for wraparound childcare and for fairer, targeted fare reductions. You know, this election is wide open. The power is in your hands. It isn't about those egos. It's about you. It's about the city we share and it's about which of the candidates really has the experience and the ideas to make London an even better place to live. I look forward to the debate. Right, well, I invite the, uh, please do, uh, I think I'm going to go in the middle. Uh, we will now start uh, the debate. Uh, just to reassure people who uh, wonder about the, the, the order of those opening uh, statements, uh, at the end we're going to allow each candidate to uh, make another statement and we'll do it, of course, in reverse order. So, let's start, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with... Some of the things that have come out of uh, our research, um, but also, uh, I'd quite like to start a rather topical matter. Uh, I understand that uh, the present mayor has said today that he's not going to give uh, the Commissioner for Police a, uh, another three-year period, which was under debate, but one year. So one of you will have uh, the pleasure, the job, of, of, of deciding on the future of Bernard Hogan Howe. Uh, have you decided? Who wants to start? Zach, go on. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Bernard Hogan now. I've, I've, I've worked quite closely with him, uh, not as closely as I hope to be working with him after May, but he is, strikes me as someone who commands the respect both of politicians, who he's quite willing to duff up where he needs to, but also his own, his own personnel, his officers. I think he strikes a good balance. Um, I think he puts London first, and he's someone in whom, from a personal point of view, I have total confidence. So he can um, I think Boris has tell made, his bank manager that he's going to get another... Th- I th- think get. That we, it, it would be premature to talk <laughs> in such language, but he is, um, I think Boris has done the right thing. It is right, I think, to ask for a year-long extension. It's the right policy. Sadiq? I think Boris Johnson uh, and the Home Secretary could have very easily reappointed him for four years without consulting any one of us. And Boris Johnson deserves credit for only extending his contract by a year 
to give all of us uh, a chance to see whether we want to reappoint him, should we have the pleasure of, a, of being elected the Mayor of London. You'll, you'll appreciate, Colin, I don't want to express publicly the merits or demerits of, I might, who, of what I think of Bernard Hogan, how bearing in mind that obviously he's on probation now from uh, Boris Johnson, Home Secretary. The key thing is this, we've got to make Londoners not simply safer, but feel safer as well. I applaud Bernard Hogan House campaign with MPs from all parties to make sure the police budget wasn't cut further. We've lost so many uniformed officers over the last uh, four years. Knife crimes going up, uh, crimes against women is going up, uh, crimes with, uh, with gun uh, is going up, gang crime is uh, going up. Neighbourhood policing is crucial. And so I'm pleased Bernard Hogan I believes that that's uh, crucial. But you know the most successful way we fight terrorism? It's neighbourhood policing. The intelligence the police receive from the community to keep us uh, safe. And what's really important, whoever the next commissioner is, is fighting with a mayor who's on the side of Londoners to ensure that we have uh, the bobbies back on the beat and policing by consent. Caroline. Well, I've worked with a number of commissioners over my eight years at City Hall, and I have to say I have most confidence in Bernard Hogan Howe. I think he's been an excellent commissioner, apart from around the issue of water cannon, where he supported the case for the Home Secretary, which was completely wrong, and we should never have had the idea of even buying them and putting them out on the streets of London. But I think, um, actually, it's really unfortunate we're having this discussion in public. Who else would you be discussing whether they can keep their job or not in public? I think that's regrettable. I personally um, very much support him. I've worked closely with him and I hope he continues to be the Commissioner in London. Sure. Uh, yeah, so the Greens um, on the London Assembly for the past eight years have worked quite closely on lots of policing issues. Um, and I think it's really important, actually, that constitutionally the, the mayor has the ability to set the priorities for the police um, and that having the choice of uh, whether you want to make a change of direction, whether you want to change the commissioner um, in a year's time is, is a really good idea. Um, I'm completely with Caroline on the water cannon issue. Um, and I think um, there, are some, there are definitely issues with the cuts. I think it's good that we were successful in reducing the amount of cuts that we face for the police um, but we may want to do more work to reassign police officers away from certain duties and onto different duties that are more conductive to um, supporting the community and more about preventing crime um, certainly away from things like which Jenny Jones has been exposing uh, which is the infiltration of uh, campaign groups who are entirely peaceful and shouldn't have the police uh, um, attacking them or infiltrating them and huge amounts spent on undercover operations. So, uh, you, you know, we may want to make a different direction, but I'll, I'll be very premature to cheaper say car, so now. Perhaps. <laughs> and a cheaper car, perhaps, yes. Peter, you're the only person now standing between Bernard Hogan House, good night's sleep tonight, and uh, so, so, so are you going to endorse him as well? I don't quite. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think we should, when there is a new mayor, there should be continuity. Um, and uh, certainly I've been impressed by him. But I think that um, I sort of slightly uh, would uh, echo something that Steve said, actually. I think that the, the general uh, issue is far deeper, which is the one thing, you know, when you're talking about the police, that you come across time and again is that they have sort of become disconnected mm. and there needs mm. to be a reconnection. This country has always had an extraordinary um, attitude to its police, actually. Um, you know, compared to, for example, many European countries... Uh, they sort of were seen as citizens who came out of, of the working class, basically, and that they were sort of on your side. That, I think, to an extent, is sort of breaking down, and there's a trust problem. Um, so I think that that is the overriding issue. That's the one thing people say, I want to see neighbourhood police. I would like to know who they are. And maybe it's a little bit wishful thinking in this day and age, but it would be good if they even came from the area in which they are meant to be uh, patrolling. 
Um, so, you know, without getting too uh, rose-tinted and nostalgic, I think that this is the sort of policing which I think would re, uh, reaffirm trust again in, in the police. Right. Thank you very much indeed. We'll, uh, we'll be on the phone to Bernard. Tell him his job's safe now. Um, he's, so, probably, he's probably listening in. Yeah, I, well, I hope so. We're, we're, it's, it's a webcast, so... Uh, if he'd like to tweet at this stage his happiness, that would, that, that, that would be great. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the issues that came out of, uh, of our work. And, of course, as uh, Professor Travers, uh, the doyen of uh, uh, London academics, uh, said in the, uh, in the piece, housing is going to be whoever, which one of you is, is mayor, is going to be your biggest priority. How are you going to build 50,000 houses a year uh, given shortage of skills, uh, shortage of land, all the other problems uh, that come through. You, you, you made mention in your, in your address of that. Absolutely. So do you believe that you will actually be able to build that number of houses? I do, do believe we can do that. We have a costed plan where the Olympic precept we're all currently paying, £20 a year towards the Olympics, we would turn into a housing precept against which we could borrow up to £2 billion to build the homes we desperately need in London. And I want to see us building genuine council housing as both the GLC and the LCC did in the past, genuinely affordable housing for Londoners. And alongside that, I want to build the 150,000 homes for private rent and sale and intermediate in between. It's really, really important we tackle that. But how we would also do that is we'd set up our own building company at City Hall. We would set up our own um, academy, like you have a tunnelling academy for Crossrail. We'd have our own construction academy to, to train up the workforce in London, to create the jobs and to actually go out and build the homes that Londoners need. It's a costed plan. It adds up. It was our budget amendment at City Hall yesterday. And like some other parties at this table, we put forward a fully costed um, amendment. And I really hope that the, this mayor will consider it, but certainly as Mayor, I will bring this in as a Liberal Democrat mayor. Peter, UKIP policy on housing? Is, is the yes, I mean, I think that uh, there are two, two points here. We've got social housing and then we've got the, the uh, pri private uh, sector. Uh, in terms of social, I'm a great believer in social housing, for start. I do think, and this runs through all our policy on housing, that all Londoners uh, should always have some priority. Um, I feel that... Uh, basically, I'm worried that so many people now are leaving London. And I think that when it comes to either social housing or whether it comes to housing that's built on, for example, GLA land, then I think that local people should have priority. Um, we uh, measure that by being living in, in London for five years. I think that's very reasonable. Um, I think it's something which actually kind of keeps um, a, a at least creates a chance of some permanence as well for people's lives. Um, what I would say, uh, though, is that when we talk about 50,000 houses, when we talk about 60,000 or 70,000 or whatever it is, um, we're talking about these uh, uh, various uh, targets uh, without, as I said in my opening remarks, looking at the demand. And the fact of the matter is um, that basically uh, the relatively uncontrolled migration that London has seen where, whereby it's growing by about a million a decade, is fueling and is the driver behind our housing crisis. You would say, uh, many people say, well, that seems like common sense, but it's extraordinary that I sit on panels like this and nobody will even address it. And the fact is I do think that we need a sensible migration policy, um, an ethical one, a fair one, which in fact will ease the strain and of this shocking housing crisis, which is in fact the worst in the country. 
Sadiq, uh, I think you've acknowledged that housing would be your one of your biggest well, your biggest priority if if you were elected. Have you worked out plans that would you could say this is how we're going to get this fifty thousand, two hundred thousand houses by the end of your reign? Well, I've got a plan, and this is uh, personal to me. As I, as I said, my family for many years lived on a council estate. Father's bus driver, mum sewed clothes to help support the family. The council home, and it was a home, gave a security of knowing in 12 months' time there wouldn't be a landlord rocking up saying, we're going to increase your rent by 15% or you're going to move out, and gave us affordability so my parents could put money aside to fulfil their wish and dream to own a property of their own to pay for their deposit. The current mayor's definition of an affordable home is homes costing 80% of market value, Zach's definition of an affordable home is a home costing £450,000. And today, today it was confirmed that last year home building went down by 9%. Home building is going down, rents are going up. So we need to build more genuinely affordable homes in London. Shelter say, to be able to afford one of Zach's affordable homes, you need to have an annual salary of £77,000 plus a deposit of £98,000. So I want to set up in City Hall a Homes for Londoners, which will do what it says on the tin. Half of all new homes in London need to be genuinely affordable, either with a social rent, the average in London is about £100 uh, a week, a London living rent, which is a third of average earnings, linked to earnings rather than market value and or homes you can afford to buy, shared ownership or rent by half, genuinely affordable. I'd also stop this scandal of developers selling homes in London to investors in the Middle East and Asia as investments. We can't allow our homes to be used as gold bricks. We did, we did some research. Last year, one leading estate agent advertised 7,000 homes in London overseas that hadn't yet been built. Another estate agent last year had 50 50 cocktail parties in the Mandarin Hotel in Hong Kong and Singapore selling homes in London before they've been built. My London plan will say first dibs for Londoners. But we've also got the scandal of two million Londoners with a private landlord having to pay more than half of their salary, uh, many of them, in rents. I'm going to set up a not-for-profit London-wide letting agent. If you as a tenant uh, come to me, you won't be ripped off with the estate agent uh, feed. You can have a tenancy for up to three years. During the three years, rent will only go up by inflation. You as a landlord can come to me. I'll give you six months' rent up front. Uh, I'll look after your property, do all the checks that need to be done, return your property in three years' time. We've got a choice at the election, a real plan to help fix the housing crisis or business as usual. Thank you. There will, be no, there will be no argument from any candidate in this campaign about the importance of housing. It is the dominant issue by far. No matter where you are in London, this is the issue that is raised. The, when you're in a situation where an average Londoner on an average salary can't buy their own home, it's a problem. When you are in a situation where an average Londoner on double the average salary still can't get their home, that is a crisis, and it's not just a political crisis for us. It is a social crisis, it's a business crisis, it is an economic crisis. The answer to that crisis, above all, is to increase supply, and the question is how do you do that? The priority for me is investing in our transport network. 
partly to keep people moving, keep London moving, partly to reflect the reality that more and more people are living on the outskirts of London where they're more likely to be able to afford to live and therefore spend hours commuting, competing with people, spending more time commuting than they do with their kids. But principally, we need to expand the transport network in order to open up land, which we know exists in London, huge tracts of publicly owned brownfield land, which could be developed but isn't being developed because it's inaccessible. So the absolute priority is protecting TfL investment and ensuring that that land is available for development. But we need to do more than that. We need to tackle land banking, the fact that developers are hoarding land and not releasing it quickly enough. You can tackle that through the planning system, through the London plan, and working with local authorities. But the biggest land banker of all is not the private developer, it's the public sector. If you put all TfL land together into one area, it would be about the size of Camden. That's just TfL. Then you've got the Ministry of Defence, Ministry of Justice, National Health Service, and so on. Huge amounts of publicly owned brownfield land, which we need to prize up in order to be able to develop the homes we need. And the key, and a commitment that I've made, is that where we build new homes on publicly owned land that the mayor controls, that, that those new homes go to Londoners. Just as some of the boroughs in this, in this capital already insist, Hackney, for example, insist that new homes sold as part of the pocket housing program must go to Londoners. There are precedents for this, but we have to draw a clear line. There is no point building new homes on publicly owned land if those homes are simply siphoned off and bought by outside investors and left empty. We have all the tools we need to deliver a really radical housing program, but the bottom line is we've got to build. tackled the affordability issue just then um, but there's I mean as we can see from all the answers that we've had um, there is a severe problem with housing um, in the city um, it's a structural problem workers are being forced further and further out not just because of lack of supply because of overheating costs in the center of the city and I think we've got to look at not just the number of homes that we build um, and we do have plans to build homes and the Olympic precept is a green budget amendment from yesterday as well and I think it's I think such it copied out some last idea. year Sean <laughs> yeah yeah I think it's um, this is a real choice we have when the Olympic precept runs out whether or not we give a cut in council tax or whether or not we say let's keep that precept going we spent it on something spectacular let's spend it on something equally spectacular and spend it on restoring the social housing grants that are stopping so many homes being replaced by councils when they redevelop their estates and I should say also that we have seen the net loss of 8,000 homes on council estates in regeneration projects and this is due to Labour councils taking these estates, demolishing them, realising that they're in trouble with the finances and ending up building a lot of private homes that ordinary Londoners can't afford and the people who used to live on those estates are being turfed out. Now we have to solve that problem, we have to get the money from somewhere and I hope the other candidates will adopt the Olympic precepts idea because giving a council tax cut in that circumstance when we've got this enormous crisis um, I think would be a mistake. Um, I also, as well as talking about... Um, buying new homes and building new homes, we have to look at the affordability of the existing homes we have. I'm a private renter, 
Um, I think I'm the only one of us who does rent their home privately. I do. Do you? Okay, well, there you go. So you'll know, the same as I do, that increasing costs are an incredible problem. And things like the Renters' Union asking um, and having a campaigning mayor who go out and work with renters and persuade the government to give us the powers to control rents, I think is really, really important. We do need a different kind of mayor who's going to fight for ordinary people on housing, not just with the developers, build and build and build. It's what we build that's important. So very quickly, just two, two, two points I wanted to raise. Uh, rent controls? Is anyone going to... Im- yeah. No. Yes? Well, you're afraid you're not running, so... Is it- <laughs> Slightly difficult for you to, to, to oppose that. Uh, rent controls and the green belt. I mean, because some, somebody someday is going to have to have the real debate uh, about the green belt. Anybody thinks that we should, um, you know, have... I mean, actually, boroughs and councils can uh, build on the green belt, uh, but whether there needs to be a wholesale uh, reflection on the use of the green belt. No, I, I, I'd start on that one, if I may. Uh, as for rent controls, uh, it's the sort of idea that sounds sort of rather nice <coughs> on paper, but where it's actually been uh, instituted, it's been disastrous uh, in New York in the 1970s, Stockholm more recently. Uh, as for the green belt, I think my party's the only one that's absolutely said, without question, we will not build on the green belt. Um, and I find it extraordinary, actually, when we're living in a very environmentally aware time that people would even consider this um, it, you know the, these are great features of London uh, the green belt is a great feature of London and so there's absolutely no way that we would ever do that when it comes as well on this general point of building I would say um, that when it comes to big developments whether it's sort of big residential uh, developments or big commercial ones um, I would take great pleasure in taking back um, uh, to giving back part of the planning power of the mayor to local people and say, right, there is uh, a binding referendum, you are allowed a binding referendum on any big new building projects. And that's the only way I can see that people will have a real say, because at the moment... Okay, as I say, we, we need to... Okay. We're almost running out of time now, never mind, uh, as we get close to the... So uh, perhaps Sadiq and then, and then Zach. Okay. And then Caroline. Can I just address... What Zach said both yes, today it's going to be controversial, and, and in his uh, launch last week, noteworthy, not one mention of the word affordability when it came to homes either today or uh, last week. Second point, he's praying in aid and wishing to copy Labour hackney in relation to how we try and solve the housing crisis. But Zach's solution to building more homes in London is to build them where? In outer London. So our city will be hollowed out and it will be a once-in-a-lifetime change. Once it's changed, you can't make London socially diverse again. We're already seeing parts of inner London being hollowed out. But the third thing, which is noteworthy, is this. The current bill going through Parliament, the Housing and Planning Bill, is forcing councils with family homes to sell them, including to foreign investors, to pay for the Housing Association sell-off. I moved an amendment saying for every one home you sell off, you should replace it, like for like, in the same area. MPs from every single other party in Parliament supported my amendment. Guess which one party didn't support my amendment and voted against it? Answer correct, the Tory party and Zach Goldsman. So you're selling, you're, you're getting rid of affordable homes in London and replacing them with homes costing £450,000. And where will they be? In outer London. Zach, the accusation is that you don't understand what affordable means. So I'm, I'm just going to address that point, and then I come to the grim. You, uh, 
It makes no sense in the London context to polarise the debate between market homes, i.e. no subsidy, and social homes. If you are on an average London salary, if you're a young professional just starting out, you will never qualify for a social home, which means a social home is as unattainable for you as a giant mansion in Kensington is. You have a, 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 an appropriate housing policy for London is one which caters for people across the income spectrum, both in terms of purchase but also in terms of rent. There are two million renters in London. Many of them get a very, very raw deal today. They have uncertain tenancies or poor conditions. In many cases, they have rogue landlords. But we can tackle that, and we are tackling that. The very same housing bill that Sadiq has, has voted down, I believe, or voted against, has an, a, a, an unprecedented emphasis on tackling rogue landlords. It is now possible for local authorities to blacklist landlords, to apply immediate fines on landlords, to strike them off, and to require them to pay back rent to people they've mistreated. This is unprecedented, and it moves us a giant step forward. There is an enormous amount in the housing bill, and I'm amazed that, the, that, that Sadiq Khan took the blanket approach of simply voting something down because he disagreed with aspects of it. I want to answer the point about the green belt. There is no need. There, I, I agree with your position, but I have to say that I'm absolutely on the record saying the green belt is a, it is a black line. You simply do not build on it. You don't need to build on it if you continue to protect TfL investment. If you take £2 billion out of the TfL budget, as Sadiq has said he would do, <laughs> then nonsense. you can't... It is not nonsense. Then you cannot... You <laughs> Even cannot, Boris accepts it's nonsense. You cannot then grow the transport infrastructure. If you don't extend the tram link to Sutton, you can't build 20,000 homes there. If you don't extend the overground to Barking, you, don't, you lose the possibility of building about 30,000 homes. If you don't extend Crossrail to Ebbsfleet, you lose the ability there to build tens of thousands of homes. Growing the transport network is, will, is what will allow us to, to, to build on brownfield sites without encroaching on the green belt or green spaces. The two are inseparable. You are the renter here. What about yeah. rent controls? So the bit, on, the bit on rogue landlords in the housing bill is absolutely tiny. Yes, and we are still, let's not forget, subsidising private landlords. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are giving them tax breaks uh, to the tune of, I think, 11 billion a year. Um, I've written to the Chancellor. I'm going to write to him again for this budget. I wrote to him for the including many MPs. Many MPs are landlords. Review. Yeah, you get you get all your tax back on uh, you get all your tax back at the basic rate on your mortgage mortgage interest, and that should not happen. I've asked for that to be removed and for that money to be given to devolve to, to local areas to, to contribute towards social housing renewal as well. And if we do social housing renewal properly, like it was when we first put social housing together, it isn't supposed to be for people who qualify, for people who can point to all their bad circumstances. It's supposed to be good, secure ho- housing for working people of all kinds. Um, and that's the principle that we're losing here by, by decimating it and not building again. On Greenbelt, very quickly, um, I'm very much against building on the Greenbelt. I think uh, there are many opportunities we should take before we do that as a very, very last resort, and I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Darren Johnson, our London Assembly member, published a report showing how you can build 70,000 new homes on uh, various new sites, small sites around London, and also by adding homes on top of existing estates. So a completely different approach to regeneration than flattening and displacing all the existing tenants in in, in councillors states. Instead, you refurbish the, the lower floors and you add extensions on top. And that could provide up to 70,000 homes across London and would mean we're not short of space. You know, we, we are right, and Zach is right about density and building around uh, transport hubs and uh, putting things where people already are because that is the way to build an efficient city and we're nowhere near the density we could be at yet. Can I 
Just, just, just going to make a point. Just bring in Caroline because she's been waiting a second. Uh, just, just a point about uh, about we, we were very proud of the chamber that we, we we believe that we were one of the progenitors of the London Land Commission, the, what we call the Doomsday Book of Brownfield Sites, which is now actually a reality. Which which goes to your point about using all the available land. But there are arguments. It has to be said uh, that 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 actually the Green Belt is a corset that outside the Green Belt, north of the Green Belt, as it were, or south or east or wherever it is, is actually you get terrible development because actually. You just squeezed it out there. So it, it isn't all good news to have a green belt. Caroline, what's, what's no, your No, you absolutely have to protect the green belt. We have to stop this complete sprawl of London out, out to, uh, beyond the suburbs. So I don't believe that we should be building on the green belt. But we have got brownfield sites around London. We've got sites around London where over 200,000 homes could be built on if actually the developers who own those sites, instead of just trying to wait for the land to go up in value, actually got on and built the homes. And that's why I really strongly believe that City Hall has got to have its own building company. We have relied on the private sector for too long to build all the homes we need in London. And ultimately, their profits still go up, but we don't have the supply of homes we need. And if we're to tackle the issues of private housing, we've got to build more homes. That will help the rent levels stabilise and come down. We need to do these things. We need to bring in things like selective licensing to protect private tenants against rogue landlords. But ultimately, we have got to build more homes. Full stop. Right. I've had my go. Uh, I'm going to now open it up to, uh, to the floor. Uh, I think Patrick Burroughs of City Airport has, ha, ha, has the, the first question. Patrick. <laughs> uh, you, might, you might imagine what the question sorry, might sorry, be, sorry. really. It's for and, you, I think. Uh, Sean, um, there's the microphone. No, go, go on, Patrick. That would be far, far too predictable, Colin. <laughs> um, I, I, London City Airport sits in the middle of the Royal Docks, uh, which is in the middle of the Mayor's Enterprise Zone. And over my time there... Uh, I've seen really good examples of public-private partnership, and I've seen an uncanny knack of making simple things hard. So my question to the candidates is, over the next four years, how do you see City Hall and the boroughs actually working with business to make London a greater city than it is today? Right, let's try and do this in about 30 seconds each. Uh, So who wants to start? Zach, do you want to go go first? I think that... We have to acknowledge that over the last eight years, London has prospered from a business point of view. We're no longer just the place for financial services. We excel now in almost every area. We have a media sector which generates more, almost more output than LA, which is quite extraordinary given where we were eight years ago. Our tech uh, clusters uh, dominate throughout Europe. We're the most Googled city on earth. Of the four most Googled destinations, tourist destinations in Europe, three of them are in London. So we are doing an extraordinarily, we're seeing an extraordinary success story. And the job of the next mayor is to ensure that London remains open for business and that it is as business friendly as in an environment as possible. Now part of that is dealing with the issues that we've just been discussing. Every business organization from the Federation to the Chamber to the CBI and everything in between cites housing as their number one priority for London. So I think we can agree with that. I don't think anyone in this room will disagree. But there are things that business needs in addition to that. And one of those things is better digital connectivity. We are miles behind. Despite record investment in our transport infrastructure, we still sit number 26 out of 33 in Europe's major cities in terms of our digital connectivity. So one of the first things that I proposed, I pledged as a mayoral candidate, was to roll out broadband for London, to make use of the 560 kilometres of TfL network, roads, rail, bridges, tunnels, the works, in order to create, in order to give London 
a super-fast broadband network which would enable people to do business in a way that they find difficult at the moment. So that is an absolute pledge and it's an absolute priority. But there's something else in addition to that, and that is the cost of, of rent, the cost of accommodation for businesses in London is becoming a real problem. It's not just housing. And one of the things, seconds, one of the things we must do <laughs> is make use of the resources that exist. So TfL owns some of the most valuable real estate in the world in its stations, in its underground stations, but elsewhere as well. I will insist, if Mayor, that in each of our underground stations, an area is made available, particularly for small start-up businesses, not just retail, but other businesses as well. And I'll insist that on all major developments in London and in the outskirts of London, on land that is controlled by the Mayor, also makes provision for new businesses. We have to preserve, create, and expand upon the facilities that businesses are going to need and which they're struggling to attain at the moment. If we could, I think I have to stop there. Slightly shorter, would be great. Business and and and, and the mayor. Yeah, uh, I think that, thirty uh, seconds. Uh, oh, steady on. No, I think uh, the thing is with this is when you look at the centre of London, when you look at the beautiful London that you come into when you're coming over on a plane, all the rest of it, it's very glittering. It's very beautiful, and, and we can very, get very complacent about that, because the fact of the matter is, London is not just that. Uh, London is a massive place with many high streets and many small businesses that are essentially on their last legs. So I would say that, in fact, those would be my priority. I think, you know, look after the pennies and the pound boys can take after, look after themselves, frankly. Um, there are very simple, small things you can do here. For example, what I would do is make sure that there was free parking for cars at least on 30-minute sections throughout the week, and then free on Saturday and Sunday, just to help the high street. You know, London is full of high streets now, which are basically almost becoming ghost towns, right? And so we've got to revive that, because these businesses are the very backbone. You know, 5.2 billion small to medium businesses in Britain, of which hundreds of thousands are in London. You know, this is extremely important. This is you know, people's livelihoods we're talking about. It's also about the quality of their lives. It's about the local community. So I would say that that is, without question, one of the most important things. Um, and also, uh, you know, I, as you know, want to come out of the EU. Those businesses um, are the ones who, contrary to what the CBI might say, are much more Eurosceptic, and they're the ones, for one good reason, they have to deal with all the strangling uh, bureaucracy and regulation that comes out of the EU even when they don't trade in the EU. Thank you. So you said you're going to be the most pro-business mayor there's ever been. Well, look, I'm, also going to, I'm also going to try and answer that 30-second uh, question Great. in six minutes. Oh, God. <laughs> How about one, one, of, one, one of the reasons I think it's crucial for the next mayor to be the most pro-business mayor we've ever seen is because our city has been successful over a thousand years because of our openness to ideas, to people, and to trade. So I'm going to work with businesses to solve some of our problems. Why don't businesses help finance some of the homes we need to build? And the quid pro quo is you can house some of your staff in the new homes we build on public uh, land. Why don't you work with me in relation to infrastructure projects? I was the minister who took through the Business Rate Supplement Act. People may not realise, but London's businesses are paying £4 billion towards Crossrail 1. Why don't we work together to build the infrastructure that many of us think we need in London? Why don't we work together... 
to, to incentivise employers to pay London living wage. Some Labour councils like Lewisham and Brent are reducing the business rates to help employers pay a London living wage. Let's argue with the government that we should have the power over business rates. Let's have a business advisory board, not made up of political patsies, but made up of London's leading businesses to advise on what's best for London. A skills for Londoners. Learning from the Mayor of New York, who's got a tech talent pipeline. You complain about Londoners having the skills for the jobs. Work with me to train up Londoners to have the skills today they need for the jobs of uh, tomorrow. Work with me to argue the case for a stain in the European Union. We are the engine that drives the UK economy. 500 jobs in London are dependent on us being a member of the European Union. 60% of non-EU companies have their EU headquarters here in London. I'm a passionate pro-European. I'm a passionate uh, business supporter because it's in the best interests of London. Caroline. I think it's absolutely crucial that the Mayor does work closely with business in London. But how the Mayor can help is clearly by investing in the infrastructure, investing in transport, investing in the homes, investing in digital connectivity that we've heard about. But also it's about helping with the workforce. I would get the budget coming down from the uh, Department for Business, get that coming down so we'd have the budgets for skills and further education so we can actually develop the courses we need to make sure we have that trained workforce from Londoners. But also I would tackle a scandal which nobody is looking at, the issue of maternal employment. 10% fewer women return to work after having children in London than any other region of this country. And the LEP, the Mayor's um, economic arm, is not remotely interested in it, probably because it's rather male and rather pale, I have to say. But this is a massive issue. Childcare costs in London are huge and they're stopping predominantly women but parents returning to work. It's a brain drain away from the London economy and we've got to start tackling that by providing providing more flexible childcare and making sure that we can train the childminders that are needed to help with that flexible childcare as well. The Mayor's economic arm has been very weak. I would revamp it and really make sure it's got some clout. And also, I would stand with business and fight to make sure we remain at the heart of the European Union. It is absolutely insane, the idea that we might leave the European Union, our massive trading area, and when so many jobs in our city depend on it, I will be right there with business, side by side, making the case for us to stay in Europe. This is, uh, I must come back. Very, very, very quickly. You've got, you've got ten seconds. Right. You know what you're going to say. Okay. Well, thanks. The, the, idea, the idea that somehow or other we're at the heart of Europe and all the rest of it is rubbish. We have almost no influence and we have diminishing influence. And as for saying that we would lose jobs, this is one of the lies. I mean, your ex-leader was talking about three million at one point and he was forced to take it back. The fact is, is that the idea that people wouldn't trade with us is ridiculous. More jobs in Europe rely on trade with us. That trade would absolutely continue. And I just one more thing here. Uh, Sadiq said about all these, uh, the, the uh, headquarters of various companies in London. I mean, when we didn't join the euro, everyone, we, you know, people said, like Sadiq, I'm sure, oh, well, actually, if you don't, uh, if you don't join the uh, euro, that's it. They're all going to leave. You know what? They didn't. They didn't. They're still here. Okay, Peter, thank you. 
Yeah. Let's let Sean. Sean, you, you've already sacked uh, um, uh, Patrick uh, by closing down City Airport. I mean, what's the relationship with business going to be like under a, <laughs> uh, under a mayor like you? So, so um, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're fearful for our jobs. <laughs> what I offered, what I offered uh, City Airport was actually a massive business opportunity. Um, the land at City Airport is used. If you go there, it's an well, you're enormous. We're going to give them give them the land so they can get their money back. It's an enormous space um, on which planes land, and there's a great enormous amount of land there which could be much better used for housing. It's very, very close to the city of London and the airport itself blights with air pollution and noise huge amounts of Newham and other areas of East London. Um, it really would be better used as housing and businesses and actually the sort of thing I proposed for the site was more or less the kind of partnership your question asks about. I thought we could bring together academic institutions, cultural institutions, businesses, new green industries, councils and city hall providing homes and build a really, really brilliant new neighbourhood for okay. the city of London. What about business in general? What about business in general? But that's, um, you haven't convinced him or, or actually me. <laughs> but those are the kinds of partnerships I, I would really love to see. Um, I mean, King's Cross, which is, I'm a councillor in Camden, and the area of King's Cross has been developed over the past 10 years, and I've been intimately involved in every stage of that development. Now, it's, it's quite a success. I mean, we've, again, the council's been involved, um, the businesses have been involved, Google are now moving there, um, the big developer, Argent, has been involved. Where it really falls down on is affordable housing. I doubt even the people at Google can afford to buy some of the flats that are in King's Cross, um, and the social housing has recently been cut. But, in terms terms of the planning and the way people work together it's not too bad. The difference I would make is that I would make sure with all the projects I get involved in um, that we, I'm giving Londoners a stake so with City Airport I wanted to make sure that people were able to buy a stake themselves in the airport when we set up, we're doing a whole series of stuff around a green new deal, building new green industries. When we do that we're going to set up a green energy company in which everyone in London will have a stake and will be able to buy more so that we can build a solar revolution to Together. When I'm talking about council estates, I'm saying we will set up a community homes unit in City Hall to support people putting together their own regeneration plans. <coughs> it's all about bringing people into the mix as well as the public sector and businesses. And if you do that properly, I think you can get a really good mix and, and that is good for everybody and isn't just uh, exploiting the people at the expense of big business. Right, now, we, we really are going to try and get some more questions in, so we'll, we'll take a couple of questions and please panel, we can answer them very quickly. The lady in, in, in red, just in my eye line there. Please, can you, talk about, the please can you talk about air pollution? We're literally dying out here. Will you commit to, meet, to meeting pollution and emissions reductions? It's a yes-no answer, and please will Excellent. you specify your timescale for that? And secondly, what, part, what role do you see for cycling as part of addressing pollution problems, and how will you improve facilities for London cyclists? Okay, I've just changed my own rule. Uh, we're going to answer that question now. Uh, That's quite so, quick. Sadiq, uh, yes or no on pollution? Yes. So just, just, to, just to underscore how bad things are, the last full year for which there's numbers, almost 10,000 Londoners died because of air quality. There are children in parts of London whose lungs are underdeveloped. And the UK Supreme Court held that air was in breach of the air quality directive. Cycling is one of the ways we're going to help address this. Uh, a, because our public transport system can't cope, uh, so we need to expand capacity. One way is for the chance to give the green light to cross rail to in the, in the uh, spring uh, budget, but also we need more safe ways to cycle. 
uh, more superhighways. You want another more, supercycle superhighway? We do. I do. And there, 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 you know, look, there are lessons to be learned about how it was how it was implemented, but we can't get away from the fact, Colin, that we need more and more Londoners cycling and cycling okay. safely. Great. Okay, Caroline. Yes, absolutely. I would do it as soon as possible. And one of the things I would do is bring in a diesel levy for the congestion charge zone to try to get people switching away from diesel vehicles. And we'd have a, a massive revolution in terms of getting electric buses and taxis. And what we would do is we would um, use Transport for London's ability to buy, ta- to buy the taxis up front, as they have with the new bus for London, which has proved not to be as green as the mayor claims, to make sure we can get them rolled out as soon as possible on the roads. In terms of cycling, I've been massive campaign for cycling, work very closely with the London cycling campaign I, would, I want to see cycling going up and I would increase the percentage of TfL's budget accordingly, up to 3% I'd like to see the budget spent on cycling on cycling infrastructure, not just in central London, in outer London as well where we've got the huge potential to get more people making short trips by bike but I'm absolutely with you on this agenda So, the, I mean the good news is that, and I suspect that four years ago the environment barely came up in any of the hustings, but I, I don't believe there'll be a single hustings where the environment doesn't come up. And on one level that means that the next mayor is going to have a mandate to tackle these issues, because people clearly want the next mayor to do so. The bad news is it's gone up the agenda because the problem's getting worse for the reasons you've just heard. So the answer is yes, absolutely. This is a priority issue and it has to be tackled no ifs no buts the question is how do you do it one issue relates to hgvs we have far too many hgvs competing for our road space hgvs that are churning out pollution causing a danger to cycling and causing congestion so we need to make much better use of consolidation centers for example that some businesses already use even my old friends at heathrow use a consolidation center which takes an enormous number of hgvs well, friends at heathrow, we, we also we also uh, on cycling i'll be very quick boris has been the most pro-cycling politician i think britain has had is huge emphasis huge investment huge uptake and i'll continue that emphasis but there's another thing we need to do we need to create a Boris bike equivalent for cars, a London-wide green car club. We need to do that by creating the infrastructure that would support it. Each car club in France, you only have to look across the pond. In France, the car club that exists there has taken nearly a quarter of a million cars off the road. So we have a huge opportunity in London to to shift away from polluting vehicles towards cleaner vehicles. Those are some of the tools we need. There are others, but it is a priority for whoever wins in May. Yeah, uh, talking of uh, uh, polluting vehicles and basically taking cars, as it were, off the road, uh, there's something actually that City Hall could do, uh, you know, right now. Um, We've got uh, an explosion in private hire vehicles going on at the Mm. moment, an absolute explosion. It's almost out of control. It's like 700 licenses are being given out by City Hall a week, right? Now, whatever your thoughts about the um, black cab trade, I'm a great supporter of it. Uh, The fact is, is that that, I feel, should be frozen. Um, it's adding enormous congestion. One in ten, and this is from Boris, actually, one in ten cars now on the road in London are private hire vehicles. Right? That used to be one in a hundred. Uh, that's adding congestion and pollution. What we're finding out about pollution, uh, of course, according to the World, Trade, World Health Organization last week, was that, of course, what we used to think were the diseases that were caused uh, by air pollution are just basically the tip of the iceberg. It's actually much more than that. Um, so I, in theory, for example, think that the ultra-low emission zone obviously is a wonderful idea. Um, but I think we'd have to look at it properly because as it stands at the moment, people who don't have very plush, 
uh, if you like, uh, company cars or not going to have it paid for by, you know, by their company, they will be penalised in coming into the ultra-low emission zone. I think that that's wrong because basically that will lead to a form of social cleansing. Peter, thank you. Sean. Um, so my job um, until recently has been as a transport campaigner and I've worked quite a lot on air pollution and with a lot of cycling groups. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that there is a lot of campaigning now around air pollution. Um, and I should say, we, should, we cannot say that people die of air quality. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, it's really important that we always say air pollution instead of air quality. I'm going to impose that star guide on the whole campaign if I possibly can. Um, but the point of the thing is, we don't just have a mandate from these campaigns. We have a legal obligation. And that means we have to do everything possible um, to bring down air pollution as quickly as possible. That's what the legislation says, which means we need a fully integrated plan. We need to bring in all the electric vehicles. We need to be reducing the amount of vehicles coming into London. We need to be prioritising cycling investment. So finally, on cycling, um, and many other things too, um, and on cycling, um, Boris Johnson has invested more in cycling, um, and that is a very good thing. In the last term, a lot has happened. But if you look at where the cycling investment has gone, it's all been basically in inner London. And we need to see a lot more going on in outer London too. So I would address the balance. I would put cycling investment pro- um, projects into every single borough, um, because I think that's where the opportunity lies, where a lot of small short journeys are currently taken by car. Um, and if we don't sort out cycling um, in the next term properly in London, I think we'll really have failed. OK, now we really are going to take one liners from the audience. Lady back there has been waiting patiently there, just, just, just up there uh, at the end of the row, and then the gentleman there, and then the lady... Thank you very, very much. Quickly. Very quick question. Big elephant in the room, education. So many kids do not have access to good schools, good teachers. How are we going to address that problem? How are we going to make sure that happens? Let's take the microphone down to the gentleman there and then the person behind them. Very interestingly, uh, all of the candidates there were talking about the clean air. Earlier on, we were speaking about political devolution for London. All of the candidates on the table are fully aware that the current incumbent, the mayor, was trying to do something about the... Uh, pollution caused by private hire vehicles. He was also trying to further ensure London's safety by bringing restrictions on their insurance. He was out-lobbied by Whitehall and Downing Street, and he's been stopped from doing it. Every single candidate on the table there knows what's gone on. How will you as a candidate resist lobbying by $40 billion companies and Whitehall and Downing Street? Right, and the person behind in the, in, 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 in the purple. How will you ensure that the new buildings are built to excellent energy efficiency standards in order to cut London's impact on climate change. And one more from the lady uh, in the front. Thank you. Um, We all know that uh, London is moving east and the infrastructure and everything else. What is your views on more river crossings other than the Silvertown Tunnel? Right. Now... If we're going to get away by 8 o'clock uh, um, uh, and you're going to get your own final statements, then we have to have, really do have to answer this quickly. So we'll go in order. So, Caroline, you start. Yeah, OK. Um, every child absolutely should have access to a good quality school place. It's, it's not happening across London. As a mum myself, I know the concern it is about having access to school schools. Um, I would use GLA land and other public sector land as part of the planning process to make sure we help deliver the school places we need. And I would, I would support the 
Mayor having a greater role in that. In terms of um, the taxi and private hire debate, we heard from Steve McNamara there. Absolutely important that we do something around insurance, and this Mayor has bottled it, quite frankly. We need to tighten up the hire and reward insurance rules to make sure that every driver in London who's operating a private hire is fully insured all the time. And what I would do is I would double enforcement. A budget amendment the Lib Dems put forward yesterday doubled the number, more than doubled the number of enforcement officers on our streets um, tackling this issue of, um, of uh, illegal minicabs and so on. Um, and there's a lot more needs to be done there. Private hire cap absolutely is needed. New buildings, I would look at um, having experts advise me in terms of planning. We'd look at things like energy, but also look at connectivity. The idea that you can build new buildings without having the fast broadband access is astonishing. We need to have that sort of thing as tight planning conditions. River crossings, I don't support building more road river crossings in East London. What I do support is a pedestrian and cycling bridge between Rotherhithe and Canary Wharf. I think that's where we need to be investing money. We don't need more roads um, where we can just um, see the expansion of cars and lorries. So dealing with the uh, last point uh, first, I was in uh, Barking Riverside last week uh, and uh, in 2007 uh, the then Mayor Ken Livingston uh, with the government got a deal to extend the DLR to go to Dagenham Rock which would have helped build tens of thousands of uh, homes. Unfortunately, Boris Johnson cancelled the project, which, which, has been, which has delayed it by at least eight to ten years. I'm pleased the government's now agreed to extend the overground train, the Gospel Oak uh, Barking Line, which should help that area be redevelop, redeveloped. But if you stand above Tower Bridge and see the numbers of bridges, river crossings, to the west, 22. To the east, 2. And so all the evidence from around the world is river crossings help regenerate an area. But we can't do it at any cost because we've talked about air pollution and the dangers of more cars being on the road. So it's got to be done in a sensitive uh, way. And we need to explore options to regenerate those areas and to have more uh, river and crossings. Quickly, the other, the other on, on design, there are things we can do. So uh, we need to make sure, for example, the London plan looks at the next generation of homes. It's a scandal that this government's cut the subsidies to feeding tariffs. Uh, so the next generation of renewables won't, be, won't come online as quick as they uh, can. I want to audit of all TfL land, see if we're maximising the use of renewable energies on TfL land. Steve, you're right, just to remind colleagues of the numbers, there are roughly speaking 25,000 black cabs in London, almost 100,000 private hire vehicles. When you talk about congestion and air pollution, one of the big factors is the private hire vehicle rise. The government needs to give the mayor the power to do that. Uh, I'm told that needs a, a primary legislation, but I think Steve's right that the mayor's bottled it. I think we've got to take this on to make sure we don't lose the iconic black cab at the expense of private hire uh, vehicles. Education, look, one of the things that's wrong is you've got, in parts of London where there are surplus school places, you've got new schools open in those areas. Uh, with the free schools where, and areas where there is a shortage of school places, there is a real crisis and there are new developments being built without thinking uh, about expanding the schools or having new schools uh, being built. I'd like the mayor to be in charge of planning around schools in London where the schools uh, go. We need to use the provision of Section 106 to get more planning gain for local communities, more affordable homes, but also more theatres, uh, more schools, more infrastructure for local communities. What you need is political will and a plan. Um, in reverse order, um, river crossings. Um, I, again, as a transport campaign, I've been working closely with uh, quite a lot of people who are expert on, on those crossings. Um, and it comes back to air pollution again. If we, can't, if we have to do everything we can to make 
the air pollution come within legal limits as soon as possible, then we definitely can't be doing anything to make it worse. And the river crossings actually would do that. So I'm in favour of getting people across the river. I think it's really important. I'm in favour of um, cycle, walking crossings, especially between Greenwich Peninsula. I mean, this is where the Silvertown Tunnel runs, from the Greenwich Peninsula um, up towards Canary Wharf. That would be an amazing new link that we could build there. And I want to see more public transport links further down the way, but, but no new roads because they just generate more traffic and we can't have more pollution in East London. Um, on energy efficiency standards, I mean, those are things that have been weakened recently by the greenest government ever. Um, but I think from our, when we're drawing up the New London plan, we can restore them. There's a very good justification for doing it. Uh, we can ask for the highest, I think, I think, I think Breen, but I think it changed to something else recently, standards in, uh, in new buildings. Um, and we can make sure that happens. I also want to insulate a million of our current homes because energy efficiency standards in current homes are hopeless, um, particularly in private rented homes, if I may say that. Um, Boris was... I'm not sure he was actually prevented, but he was very strongly encouraged not to introduce new regulations to cap the number of private hire vehicles in London. And again, I think that is needed. We are seeing an explosion in private hire vehicles. It seems to be increasing traffic. And, I, and I'm in favour of people using cabs because it's better than owning a car. But if Uber are attracting people off public transport, that's not the direction we need to be going in. So we have to do something there. And I think we'll, we'll have to have that argument with the government once, once we're elected. Um, on education, we have been, as the GLA, supporting and building and helping free schools. And I don't think we should be doing that. I'd be, as mayor, trying to hand back those schools to the local authorities, helping the local authorities plan school places better and bring in someone at a London level to help plan things at a strategic level because we don't have that at the moment. Peter. Uh, yes, uh, one interesting statistic to talk about taxis first. You know, apparently the tax paid by five individual black cab drivers uh, <laughs> is greater than the whole of the tax paid in this country by Uber. <laughs> that is quite extraordinary. All I would say to Steve is uh, what has been said to me so many times is that basically uh, Labour and Tory, Boris and Ken, they go along and they absolutely sort of suck up to the black cab trade and then basically they just shaft them. They just leave them. Um, absolutely I would not do that because the fact of the matter is it seems to me that this is a classic case of the monetization of London, i.e. money and the market is everything, so you're sacrificing safety, you're sacrificing the fact that they can take wheelchairs where Uber don't have to, you're sacrificing uh, extraordinary knowledge, which actually amounts to more than most degrees now. And, of course, the Tories in City Hall, I believe, actually wanted to uh, dilute that thing, the knowledge. Uh, I, I think all of that Peter, is absolutely got to the other, the other points yeah, very quickly. Uh, no, no, the others had a lot of time. Um, well, then, not more okay. than you. On the other point of monetization, just to go on to bridge crossings, yes. um, the fact is scrap vanity projects like the Garden Bridge which is basically yet another part of monetization of public space. You, you, you won't be able to even drive, uh, drive your bike over there. You're going to have to get off and walk it over, right? So that could go. We would actually get rid of vanity projects like that because the public uh, are going to end up paying for the maintenance of it, whatever they tell you now. As for school places, uh, my point is a clear one on that, sir. Uh, the fact is, like hospitals, like social services, the huge... Uh, increase in population in London, which has come from migration, is going to make that situation more serious as time goes on. Right? So I would say that we've got to have a sensible migration policy in place, and I would campaign for that. Zach. 
Um, I'll try and be quick. On the last point first, river crossings, I think there are some very, very powerful equity arguments for creating those crossings in a part of London where they simply don't exist, to enable businesses to reach their customers in a way that they cannot do at the moment. The big concern is air quality. So the bridges have to be built and used and financed in a way that encourages that shift towards cleaner vehicles. And we know that the bridges won't happen unless they're tolled. That's the funding model that's been designed. But when you're tolling a bridge, that gives you an opportunity to create carrots and sticks in order to ensure that switch happens. So I will support more crossings, but on that proviso. On energy uh, building standards, look, the London plan is an extraordinarily powerful tool. Uh, The mayor can include in the London plan all kinds of guidelines and requirements even in relation to energy efficiency, in in relation to energy generation. Now, I have talked uh, recently about trying to facilitate a solar revolution across our capital. It is possible for us to generate vastly more energy from solar than we currently do. And you only have to look at Bristol, where the mayor of Bristol has said any unused, wasted, publicly owned roof space, roofs that he controls, can be made available to community energy organisations to use, and it's happening. You're seeing the uptake uh, on on a a really exciting level. So there is a lot we can do, both to generate energy and to improve standards. Steve, cabs. Uh, You know my view on cabs. We've had many discussions. I am a a passionate supporter of the black cab. I, I feel that if London lost the black cab, London would be a poorer place for it. I also believe that we will lose the black cab unless some kind of intervention happens. They will go extinct, and I think that will be a tragedy. And I think it's very unfair when the defenders of the status quo talk about competition, because the black cab is not engaging in a fair competition. The black cab has to have a turning circle, adds thousands of pounds to the car. The knowledge, at their own expense, four years sometimes, three to four years. They have to have wheelchair accessibility. All the things which make it much, much more expensive for someone to run a black cab, the most regulated cab service in the world. So to expect them to compete against Uber as if they're on a fair playing field is entirely dishonest. And whatever legislation is brought in, either nationally or whatever regulations are brought in by TfL, have to maintain that distinction. Otherwise, we lose the black cab. And quickly on education? On education. So I'm going to answer you from the point of view of what the mayor can do. The mayor controls an enormous amount of land. We know there is a serious shortage of school places across London, primary schools and secondary schools. So the requirement on the mayor, the obligation of the mayor, is to ensure that you don't sell off land or develop land unless you can be certain that that land would not be, more importantly, used to provide more school places. It's really important that when we take these big decisions, we think about the infrastructure that's needed to support the new homes. You build many new homes, you're going to need schools, you're going to need hospital surgeries, and it's important that the mayor takes that strategic approach. But there is another issue here which will become an issue for the mayor. It isn't yet. And that is that we're going to see devolution of skills funding. And I think that's a massive opportunity. As a localist, I would prefer that devolution to leapfrog the mayor and go directly to local authorities in clusters. But what it would mean is that local authorities are able to match the training at a local level with the local need. That means you can take one approach in Shoreditch around the tech cluster and another approach in the West London around hospitality. It would allow you to have a much more intelligent skills approach. Thank you. Right, now, uh, closing remarks. Uh, uh, As I said in... uh, 
Uh, we're going to go in reverse order, so that means, Caroline, you're first. Lovely, thank you. Well, this evening's debate has covered so many of the issues I have been campaigning on as the Liberal Democrat leader on the London Assembly, from housing to transport, business, school places and taxis and private hire, which has taken up a lot of my time, quite rightly, over the last year. And these are the things that matter to Londoners, and your questions have only reaffirmed my belief that London, at its heart, is a Liberal city. We're a place of innovation, of tolerance, of diversity, of freedom, a city at home with its place in the world and embracing people from every part of the world. Yet to be truly liberal, London must be a city of opportunity too. And it's the basic opportunities which are at risk in London today. The chance to live in London if you work here rather than being priced out of the city. The chance for every woman and man to work in London and still raise a family. And the chance to be at the cultural and economic centre of our country and yet still to be able to breathe clean air. So as your Mayor, I would deploy all the experience of a life-serving Londoners to make those chances and those opportunities a reality. And I will be a full-time Mayor, with my eye not on the next job or on being an MP, but on this job, this great challenge of running our great Liberal city as its first Liberal Mayor. Let's create a London that works for everyone. Thank you very much. Okay, can I thank you all for giving up your evening to come along here uh, today for the first of 300 hustings between uh, and you've got now, to go to all of them, okay? Now and uh, if you look, this is the greatest city in the world. I love being a Londoner. I'm very proud of uh, this city. But as I said, we're at a crossroads, and I genuinely believe if we don't act now, it could be too late. I believe in the school of thought that says mayors can do a huge amount rather than the one that says the job of the mayor is to cut a ribbon, to be funny, and to walk the red carpet. I can do those things too. <laughs> I think you need a mayor who's got the experience, the values, and the vision to fix London's housing crisis, to make sure we've got genuinely affordable homes to buy and rent. And yes, first dibs to Londoners. I believe we need a mayor who's going to build a modern transport system that's affordable, for Londoners. I believe we need a mayor who's going to support businesses to expand and grow, to increase productivity, to help create the jobs for tomorrow's Londoners, a living wage London, a London with more apprentices. I believe in making our city safer and healthier, tackling air pollution, ensuring we have community policing, leading the challenges around health. I believe I have the experience, the values and the vision to be the best mayor this city has ever seen. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, um, my party, the Greens, we start from third place in this election, um, and we've grown so much. Um, Very sure. Uh, my colleague Jenny Jones was third in 2012. We start from third place in this election, and we've grown fourfold in membership since 2012 um, and also we've seen much less likely winners um, of elections in recent years so I hope you'll be taking our ideas um, 
very seriously indeed and really thinking about the kinds of things we can do for London. Um, green politicians, we're incredibly good value. Caroline Lucas shows this in Parliament. Darren Johnson and Jenny Jones have been on the London Assembly for 16 years and made a real difference. They've pioneered good ideas, uh, like the London Living Wage, which everyone is talking about now, but wasn't really a thing when they first started talking about it back in 2001. Um, we are the party of good ideas. I believe in the power of Londoners' ideas too. You've heard some of my plans tonight, um, and we have many more to come over the election, and I hope you'll follow what we're doing um, and think about what... If Caroline Lucas can achieve what she does as one, as one MP in Parliament, what a Green Mayor of London could actually do. So I hope you'll check us out, and thank you very much for listening today. Um, thank you very much, and, and, and thank you for listening as well tonight. Um, I would say that, as a Londoner, um, I will always be in London, so, therefore, it matters to me the kind of city we have. And as I said in my opening remarks, the fact is, is that I feel that we are getting to a point where London is purely a kind of very, very lavish uh, airport departure lounge or, you know, airport arrivals lounge. And it's not. It's a, a city with a soul. Um, and it's a city just like a country which has a past a present and a future, and there's got to be a kind of connecting thread through that. Um, my party cares about that sort of thing. I'm talking about all Londoners. I'm talking about the people here at the moment, Londoners, right? I'm more concerned about their quality of life than maybe people who might be here in 10 years. You know, I'm, I'm worried about Londoners now. Um, we are third... And uh, we will probably end up with GLA members uh, in, uh, in May. And uh, on a personal note, um, I would like to be the first gay mayor of London. So, thank you. And finally, Zach. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving us your time this evening. London is at a crossroads. The challenge for the next mayor is to make London affordable to Londoners, to turn that success story into something that relates to all of our lives. Now, I have a plan, and I've told you about the plan in my introduction. More housing, better transport, safer streets, and a cleaner environment. My record as a local MP shows that I can deliver that plan, but my record as a mayoral candidate over the last three months shows that I can deliver for London as a whole. Uh, when the housing bill went through Parliament, I knocked it into shape to guarantee that it would produce more affordable homes for London. When there were threats, colossal threats, to cut back on the Met's budget, I fought hard to protect the Met budget, along with my colleagues, and we won. The effect is that every community in London will be able to count on community policing, policing neighborhood policing, for the years to come. And I campaigned to ensure that where strikes happen on our underground, they can only happen with a clear and proper mandate. That's what I've done as a mayoral candidate over the last two or three months. Imagine what I can do if I'm mayor. Thank you.
Can I finally say, of course, says the London Chamber of Commerce, we are non-political, we will work with whichever one of you is mayor, and we hope that we might change your minds on a few things like airports, for example, uh, that, uh, that we pass. But, we, but we, we're delighted that you're able to take part. Thank you very much indeed, all, for, all of you, for, for taking part. Thank you all for coming. Anyone who thinks that ap- there's apathy about politics should just see the number of people and the fact that there have been queues outside. Thank you very much indeed. Can you reel...